Well, what a weekend it was, sweeping the Huskies in Lubbock. We'll recap that, look ahead to Oklahoma State, and bring you much more. This is Dinger Derby. Welcome to Dinger Derby, the official podcast of RedRaiderDugout.com. The only website completely devoted to Texas Tech baseball. Join Keith Patrick twice a week for team news, guests, ranking updates, and game reports. We'll be hitting taters with the Red Raiders from opening weekend all the way through Omaha. This is Dinger Derby. Well, I told you coming into this weekend, folks, that UConn was not a team to be trifled with, just as Gonzaga was not one to be trifled with either. Both quality opponents, but Texas Tech able to get the sweep both ways in the midweek and then on UConn in the weekend four game. The Red Raiders have extended to a 14-game win streak. It's second in the country to Navy, who at last count I saw has 18 consecutive wins going back to 2020. What Texas Tech does own is a home winning streak now. They are the sole owners of a win streak that dates back to 2020 at home. I believe it's 22 games at this point that Texas Tech has won in a row, and they've extended a non-conference home winning streak beyond 25. The 14-game win streak matches a streak dating back to 2018 when the Red Raiders opened that season with 14 straight victories. Well, this year they've worked their way into 14 in a row following that 0-3 weekend to open things up in Arlington. Since we're talking about home winning streaks, I want to take a moment to tell you about our first sponsor here on Dinger Derby and Red Raider Dugout. It's Home Field Apparel. You've probably seen that Homefield Apparel finally launched a Texas Tech line, and y'all, it is fire. This stuff is fantastic. They dig into the archives and pull out classic logos and looks from across Texas Tech athletics history, and it is some really nice stuff. I love the throwback look. I particularly love the original double T, the disconnected double T. They've got one of those on there as well. There's a baseball shirt with three-quarter length sleeves. There's a basketball shirt. There's sweatshirts, hoodies. Go check it out, homefieldapparel.com for throwback logos. And on top of that, it's fantastic quality. They sent me one of the shirts as a sample to check it out. And, y'all, I can't tell you it is the most comfortable T-shirt that I own. I'm not a guy that ever wears t-shirts out of the house. I really just sleep in t-shirts, and I wore one out to take my family to lunch just yesterday because that Homefield Apparel t-shirt is awesome. So go check them out, homefieldapparel.com, and use the code Red Raider Dugout when you check out for 15% off your first order. That's Red Raider Dugout for 15% off. Homefieldapparel.com, on top of all the great Texas Tech stuff, they have throwback gear from schools all over the country. So if you like small school sports, if you're connected to a different college or university one way or another, some of the stuff they have out there is incredible. I can't wait to see them expand the tech line and have even more, but I'm super excited that Texas Tech is in their offerings now because it is awesome stuff, great quality, and extremely comfortable. So go check them out, homefieldapparel.com, and put in Red Raider Dugout 
for 15% off your first order. Thanks so much to Homefield Apparel for supporting what we're doing at Red Raider Dugout and here at Dinger Derby. UConn came in and showed Tech and Tech fans they were not a team that was just going to lay down on Friday night as they lost that one just 4-3 to to the Red Raiders. It was actually a 3-1 game going into the late innings, but UConn worked across a run in the eighth with a sack fly to right field, and they worked another one across in the ninth to tighten it up, but Texas Tech able to hold them down there and finish it out getting Connor Queen his second save of the week as he worked another one against Gonzaga. That Friday night game was one that was completely covered in incredible defensive plays by Texas Tech, including on the first base runner of the game. As Brandon Bertzel allows a leadoff single up the middle to start the game, but then Braxton Fulford guns him down, stealing the base in a 2-4 putout. And Brax has been nails this season, on the base pads, done a great job controlling runners as they try to steal. That was the first star in the book that night, but it would not be the last for Fulford or others. In the fourth, it was a 2-3 put out as Christian Fedco, the second baseman, lays down a bunt just up the third base line. It barely gets eight or ten feet in front of the plate. Brax is the only one that can field it. He pounces on it immediately and rifles a shot to first base to get the out there. It was a fantastic play by Brax there in the fourth, and it set up a 1-2-3 inning for the Red Raiders, which was their first of the night on that Friday. In the fifth inning, it's a line out to Easton Morrell. He lays out for that one. You've seen the pictures of it. And then he hops up and sends it over to second base and ends it up being a double play to end the frame. So a line out to right field and then smokes one to second. I believe it was Cal Conley covering that got it. And that's a double play to end that frame. Morrell gets another one at the end of the sixth. This also ends the frame. Another diving catch. This one towards the foul line on a line drive into right field. That one would have been extra bases, and Morrell said no, sir, and took it down. Dylan Noisy gets a diving catch into the gap in left center field, this one towards the wall. A beautiful catch by him out there on that fly out to center field, a star in the book for Noisy. So there were two of those stars in the book in the ninth inning, and that's what made this win possible. The first of those, it was the first out of the inning, was a line out to Parker Kelly, who had been a defensive substitution at third base. They sent Kurt Wilson out to right field in place of Easton Morrell and had Parker Kelly at third base. Strong defensive third baseman. He shows it with the first out in the ninth, a screaming line drive to the bag side of Parker Kelly, he lays out diving for that one and gets the out for the first one of the ninth. And then after some base runners get aboard via a couple hits and there's a walk, a sack fly brings a run home. And so, and you've got the tying run on third base. A little smoking, dribbling ground ball is sent out past Cole Stilwell as he dives from first base, gets out to Kurt Wilson, who smokes it back home for the 9 2 put out to win the game. Incredible job there. It would have been a tying run, potentially forced extras, depending on what the bottom of the ninth held. But Kurt Wilson getting a nice one there, and he saw much more action in right field this weekend as well. Incredible day defensively for the Red Raiders. 
They did have two errors on the day, uh, but nothing egregious, I think. That's the key. One of those was a really tough play. It was a tough call for the official scorer at third base that was charged to Kurt Wilson over there. That was a tough one down the line, like a high chopper. And there was another one on Cole Stilwell at first base, but nothing really horrible, not booting it around and mental mistakes so much as just really difficult plays that could be scored either way. When you look across the Red Raiders offensively in that Friday night game, Drew Baker's going to stick out in every game, no matter what. But Cal Conley goes four for four in this game. He's got two doubles, three RBI, had a really nice night. Did not ever come around to score that night, but did a really great job for Tech. It was a game where you had six hits, and so it wasn't prolific offensively, but you also had Drew Baker and Jace Young setting the table. Baker on base all four times, and Jace Young on base three of the four times he goes to bat. Baker reached on a walk, a walk. Both of those he came around to score. He had a single in the fifth and ended up thrown out at third, and then he reached on an error and stole a base in the seventh. Jace Young reaches on a walk and scores, reaches on a walk and a walk after that, and then moves around to second on a balk. Those two have created a one-two punch at the top of this lineup that is very difficult for teams to defend against. They're doing a really nice job setting the table for Dylan Noisy, Cal Conley, Nate Rombach, whoever's behind them, to get them moved around. And so that is a really powerful combination that we've started to see from Baker and Young. We'll talk about their stats a little bit later. Brandon Burtzel got the start for you on the evening. He went six full innings pitched, pitched 83 in the this one. He came in with a 6.52 ERA, walked out with a 4.60. He gave up four hits, but only one run, three walks. He had five strikeouts. Burtzel did a pretty nice job and had a pretty good day against a tough team, a team that can be pretty offensive. Tech only left eight on the table this day to the six that UConn left, but overall it was a good win. You had four pitchers come in in relief. Brendan Gurton came in, but he struggled a little bit and exited before registering an out. Andrew Devine came in and had a really nice outing. Two innings pitched. He gave up a run, but it was not earned. A walk and three strikeouts. He lowered his ERA a fair amount. Derek Bridges did a third of an inning, and then Connor Queen came in for the final two-thirds and got that save. So overall, definitely what you wanted to see. Texas Tech's bats did work the UConn starter, Ben Kasparius, really hard. He's a guy that on the Friday before against Miami of Ohio had gone eight innings pitched, had 102 pitches in that one, had 11 strikeouts. Well, he had eight strikeouts against the Red Raiders, but he only lasted five innings, gave up three hits and three runs. He walked five, and Tech worked him over for 106 pitches. So you saw a guy that had previously had eight innings pitched and 11 Ks. Tech worked him to his shortest outing of the season and only five innings pitched and his highest pitch count at 106. Kenny House came in after that two and two-thirds innings, gave up one run unearned and three hits to the Red Raiders, and then Justin Willis came in at the end for the final third for the Huskies. Overall, a fun evening Lots of good and exciting baseball to watch that night. Saw some guys get some work that we haven't been seeing as much of. Braden Runyon came in at DH that night, did not have a great evening, a guy you hadn't seen in quite a while, and so you hope that he can still keep working into opportunities. As you move to Saturday, this was an afternoon game, 2 o'clock. Patrick Monteverdi gets the start for you. He does end up getting the win. Monteverdi goes to 3-0 and on the season, but had – 
a few struggles today, and, and it was a difficult day at the ballpark. It was extremely windy that day. You also had a weather delay that held things up for about 38 minutes also on Saturday. Tech wins it 10-3, to but that doesn't really tell the story of the game as the Red Raiders played four runs in the first two innings and then were scoreless until the eighth when they exploded for a six-run eighth. So it was really a 4-3 game following the fourth as the Huskies played three in the third and fourth to make it close and tight all the way through. Monteverdi goes five innings pitch, four hits, three runs, two of them earned, no walks, and four strikeouts. So he allows his first runs of the season, has a couple of wild pitches in this one, and so that was a little bit of a different look too, but ultimately he does do what you need him to do. I mean, his ERA went from a zero to a 0.78. So I feel like Patrick Monteverdi still having one of the best seasons in college baseball this year and did a nice job. He retired him in order his first two go-rounds in the first and second. He also had some stars in the book from his defense, another diving line drive snag by Parker Kelly at third base who got the start there on Saturday, and you had Kurt Wilson starting in right field. Drew Woodcox was at first base this day until Braxton Fulford took over for Rombach at catcher, and Rombach took first base back over in the fifth. Yet another star in the book. It was a gun down from Drew Baker. This one was a little confusing and unusual as there was a fly ball that went to left center field. It was shallow, so you had Conley, Noisy, and Baker all converging. There was a little bit of confusion between those guys as to who was taking it. Baker thought that Cal was actually camped under it. He told us that later in the postgame. So Baker ends up at the last moment kind of springing into action and gloving that one falling down. He pops up slinging to home plate and he gets the 7-2 put out. So he takes the fly out on the catcher Devaney for the second out of that frame in the sixth and then gets the gun down 7-2 on the left fielder Ferrer for the third out as well. So it's another double play coming out of the outfield saving a run and that would have been the tying run in this ball game as well. And the final one of those in the eighth in the top of the eighth it was a really nice play to Parker Kelly at third base who gunned an incredible throw from not deep in the hole, as that's really something we usually use to describe the shortstop position. But Kelly was behind the bag with his foot on the foul line when he fields this ball. He fires it to first base, and it's a strike over there for the out and the second out of that eighth inning. So a really nice job by Parker Kelly playing third base that day. Nice job really all around the field as a lot of guys got stars in the book. Overall, the Red Raiders had a better day offensively because of the explosion in the eighth. You did have Nate Rombach with a two-run bomb in the first inning, and that really helped open things up. Drew Baker had a leadoff double in that one to start the game. Dylan Noisy with an RBI single, then Noisy scored by Rombach. And then Baker works around a walk into a run in the second when Jace Young knocks him around with a no-out double in that second inning for him and an RBI in the book. This was a game where Drew Baker had another nice day. This time he goes four for four, three runs scored, and a walk and has two stolen bases as well. So Drew Baker really doing a nice job in that leadoff spot and owning it all the way around. Cody Masters comes in at DH for Easton Morrell in the fifth, and he gets his chance in the eighth inning as well. He's got a solo shot to left field that day to help widen the gap and give the Red Raiders the insurance they need. Nate Rombach hits a sacrifice fly in the eighth as well 
to score Dylan Noisy, who had worked around. Joe Simeone got the start for UConn. He went only one and a third. The Red Raiders ran him after ringing him up to 55 pitches in one and a third innings. Five hits, four runs, one walk, and one strikeout for him. He His ERA jumped from a 491 to a 730 in that inning and a third. Pat Gallagher comes in in a little bit longer relief, three innings pitched. He gives up one hit and no runs, does a nice job for UConn. And then you end up seeing four more pitchers through the day. You also had one of the most flamboyant pitchers on the mound that I've seen, and Andrew Marrero. He was a really fiery guy, lots of extra body movement, lots of choreography to what he did on the mound. Gus kept describing him with a little bit of flair. I would describe him as a flamenco dancer out there. He came off extremely fired up after a good first inning, and then he got lit up and had a little bit different feeling after he came back out. He actually entered the game again on Monday uh, to some different results as well. So all in all, Tech with a 10-3 win, that was one where I thought, you know, at some point this weekend, we're going to see the Red Raider bats get going against these guys. And it turned out that Saturday was that day. Tech had 11 hits. They outhit UConn 11-7, to and it was overall a good one. But the Huskies weren't done yet, and they weren't going away that easily because then we get into one weird game. At one point, I sat there and thought, I feel like I'm watching the record-breaking win streak game from Moneyball in real life because what happens is the Red Raiders jump out to an 8-1 lead after the fourth inning. They play two in the first. It's Baker and Young that both score. Both got up board with free passes. Baker gets hit. Young walks. They both work aboard. Cal Conley with a sack fly for one. Braxton Fulford an RBI single for the other. You get into the second. Kurt Wilson, a leadoff single, and he's hit home on a fielder's choice with an RBI from Drew Baker. Then you have three plated in the third. Brax and Cody Masters both get hit with one out. They're both aboard. Kurt Wilson with a single loads it up. Parker Kelly with a double scores two. And so ultimately, Tech's looking pretty good. Two more free passes come around to score with the help of some wild pitches in the fourth. Then you go into the fifth, an 8-1 lead. You've got a couple of stars in the book already, a diving fly ball catch by Dylan Noisy, a diving fly ball catch by Drew Baker. And you're thinking, hey, we're, we're locked in. It was extremely windy. It was uncomfortable out there. It was dusty. You have a bunch of different crazy stuff going on. It was kind of a game that had a little bit of everything. You had multiple pitchers exiting with injuries for UConn. You had uh, play, you had warnings going from umpires to the dugout. I mean, it was just kind of thing after thing going on in this one. And finally, it seemed to me like the team just lost a little bit of concentration in the middle innings and then locked it back in as they got deeper into the game. And I mean, I can't fault them. If I was standing out in the wind alone, it would be hard for me to pay attention to what's going on, much less with everything else that was happening in that one. You also had an injury in this game that was a tough one to watch as the center fielder and left fielder for the Huskies collided going down the wall in opposite directions trying to field a fly ball out there. And you had ultimately had that center fielder exit the game. He looked like he really took it hard. And so it was a weekend that teams were putting their bodies on the line and playing hard, and, and they certainly paid the price for it. 
And then the Huskies say, hey, we're not going anywhere. They score three in the fifth. Tech answers with two, including a solo home run from Jace Young, the only home run hit of a crazy day. Tech replies with two. Then it's one apiece over the next two innings. Then it's three apiece in the eighth, and things are getting a little bit tighter. You're feeling like, hey, Tech's lead is still pretty solid here. And then UConn finds a way to get four runs across in the top of the ninth, and all of a sudden, Tech's lead is cut down to two. That one started off with a leadoff E4, which put the nine-hole man aboard. You get a fly out to left field, and then the third batter, Christian Fedko, hits into a fielder's choice. It is an RBI, but it gets you an out at second base on the 5-4 putout. So you've got two away after they scratch one across, that RBI scored Winkle, who was the one that reached on the error. And Nick Gorby, who had entered the game to take care of this inning, ends up having to exit after giving up a couple of back-to-back singles. Connor Queen comes in and immediately gives up a two-RBI double. He receives a mound visit from Matt Gardner, and this is what Connor tells us in the postgame press conference about what Gardner told him in that mound visit. It reminded me to remember to execute pitches and uh, not just to lay up, not try to be so fine and just, you know, throw what he calls and just be as who I am. So then Connor works the final fly out. It's another star in the book for Drew Baker as well. And Tech wins it 15-13. They're out hit 17-14. They have three errors to one for UConn. Both teams left 12 aboard. It was just a crazy day. It was a game that ends up stretching out into four hours and 17 minutes of game time. 414 pitches thrown combined by both teams. 205 for Tech, 209 for the Huskies. There were seven hit batsmen on the Red Raiders as it was six pitchers come in for both teams. And those six pitchers each were hitting Red Raiders throughout the day. It was not a record as Tech back in 2018 in that opening weekend against Maine. Cameron Warren hit his first home run as a Red Raider that Friday night, and then he wears four of Tech's eight HBPs the next day on Saturday. Austin Peterson got the start for UConn once again. Tech ran the starter early. He only went one and a third, gave up three hits, three runs. He had a walk and a K in that one with only 33 pitches thrown. Then you had Jimmy Wang enter, Sam Faveri, multiple guys coming through. They even pulled a guy from the field in Eric Stock, and he entered the game for the final inning. So you knew UConn was starting to run out of pitching, or at least you thought they were. You knew you would probably see some guys again one way or the other. But I did talk to Drew Baker He only went one for five this day, but he did reach on an HBP. He had an RBI, three runs scored. And so I asked him a little bit about his role at the top of this lineup, what he's doing as the leadoff man, how he's working in concert with Jace and with Dylan Noisy. This is what he had to say. I actually had a conversation after our midweek this week with Tadlock, kind of just reestablishing my role. I was kind of swinging early in counts, striking out a little too much with two strikes, but we talked about what it means to be a leadoff guy, kind of get on base at the table for our bigger hitters. And I'm just glad that I'm kind of getting that done and getting on base and putting pressure on people. So we get fastballs for our two, three, four guys, and they're driving me in really well. So 
I had also asked Cal Conley at one point in the weekend earlier on what it meant to have those guys ahead of him. Conley on Friday went four for four, and I asked him what it was like having those guys leading off and setting the table for him batting in the five hole, and this is what he had to say. Yeah, they saw a lot of pitches today. I mean, that opens the game up for us guys hitting behind them. Um, we see all their pitches while we're in the dugout on deck, um, and it just gives us a better feel before we go out there. Some guys, you know, if quick at bat, we're not going to see as many pitches or not see the slider that at bat before we come up or whatever that is. But Jason Drew set the tone today from the start, so they put us in a good spot. I've got two more little clips I'm going to play for you in this one. Both of them are going to be from Tim Tadlock. I want you to hear half of my reasoning why it is that Tim Tadlock is a national treasure. I asked Coach Tadlock, after a long and blustery game like this, lots of wind, everybody's tired, what do you need from your guys turning around and going into an early first pitch, knowing they had a 10 a.m. first pitch on Monday, expecting to hear something about rest and staying focused? Instead, this is what I get from number six. Probably some coffee right out of the chute. Uh, maybe a breakfast taco. Um, maybe a hot dog about noon. Um, play baseball. I mean, it's a new day, and uh, we might get the job going in there early. So we walk into Monday. It's spring break for high schools around here. So I had the opportunity to go to that game as a fan. I took my wife. We had a fantastic time sitting down there with the guys that like to cause some trouble. And it was a ton of fun starting at 10 o'clock in the morning. The crowd was exceptional. There was over 2,700 people there. It was rowdy. It was loud. It was involved. It was smart, paying attention to what pitchers were doing, messing up the mojo out there. The Red Raiders ultimately ran out seven pitchers this day. All of them were freshmen with the exception of one who was a sophomore. So all the way around, Tech got a ton of experience for really young guys in this getaway game for UConn. It was back and forth throughout the day. UConn took the early lead in the second as they had a leadoff single followed by another, and they were able to work a couple guys around with an RBI walk and then a sack fly ultimately. Chase Hampton got the start for the Red Raiders as Micah Dallas had appeared out of the bullpen earlier in the weekend, and so he did not pitch. And I told you my prediction about that, that we'll see Micah Dallas either with a start this weekend against the Cowboys or piggybacking with one of those starters and becoming a weekend relief guy. So I'd be interested to see how that plays out. I have a suspicion that it would be Brandon Birdsell and Dallas being paired up one way or the other, whichever one was starting. So with a 2-0 lead, we go into the bottom of the second. Cody Masters, once again, he has a solo bomb. This one's to right field, kind of barely sneaks over the right field fence. And Masters has another home run on the season. That cuts the lead in half. It's 2-1 UConn. And then you hang there for a little while. The pitchers take over. Tech actually was hitless over the next three innings, retired in order in all three. UConn worked guys aboard. They got hits. They had a couple of free passes, but no other run score until the sixth. In the sixth, UConn scores one in the top. They work a leadoff walk, and he ultimately is brought around on a sack line out to center field. And then Tech answers. Drew Baker with a leadoff single, then Jace Young with that following RBI double to bring him home. You get another star in the book 
for Texas Tech in this one. Actually, a few. One of the big ones, a line out to the first baseman, Nate Rombach, in that eighth inning. He does a great job gloving this one. It's just hot as can be down the line, and Rombach steals the hit away. And you had one in the sixth for the Huskies as they stole a home run from Dylan Noisy over the fence with the glove grab to get that ball back into the park. And so Dylan Noisy loses the chance at a two-run shot there. It would have been right when the Red Raiders needed it. It would have given them the go-ahead. So Tech goes into the bottom of the seventh. They've got a 4-2 deficit to deal with, but they are certainly not going away very quickly. A leadoff walk from Kurt Wilson, Parker Kelly with a single to left field, and then Drew Baker steps in against that peacock that we told you about. He smashes a three-run home run to left center field, and Drew Baker gives the Red Raiders the lead for the first time in the ballgame. They're up 5-4. Dylan Noisy follows with a two-out triple, sends that one hard into right center field, and works his way around. And then, no big deal for the first time since Zach Davis did it in 2014 against the University of Texas, Dylan Noisy steals home. The catcher drops the ball, so Noisy ends up having to dance around and over the catcher's legs as he's blocking the plate, and he finally gets a toe in there and gets the run. So Dylan Noisy with a triple and a stolen base at home to get another run home for the Red Raiders. So it's a four-run inning there. Tech with a 6-4 lead, and you're feeling pretty good about things, but the Huskies say not so fast, my friend. We're not coming out here just to get whipped up on by number seven in the country as the Red Raiders moved up on Monday. In the ninth, the Huskies come up and they're able to work two men across despite some great defense around the field, including a really nice play by Brendan Gurton. Gurton, who inherits base runners from Chase Webster, ends up with a bunt fielded to his left. He comes off the mound, fields that with a glove scoop to Braxton Fulford, dead on target for the one-two put out at the plate to save the run. Beautiful job there by Brendan Gurton. He did a nice job coming in late in this one to the final two innings for the Red Raiders. But there are two runs scored, and that's a tie ball game. Tech ends up getting men aboard in the ninth, but not able to hit them home, and so we head to extra innings. Two more runs scored by the Huskies in the tenth. A leadoff single puts a man aboard. There's a sack bunt to move him around. Another star in the book for the Red Raider defense on a beautiful Diving save by Rombach and a cover by Gurton sent back to him at the last moment. It's practically a bang-bang play at the bag, but a really nice job on the cover to get that second out. But then an RBI double sends a man home, and then you get another run scored after that as well on a single. So it was a two-run lead for the Huskies. Walking into the bottom of the 10th, the Red Raiders had to respond, and you wonder, how is this going to go as the middle of your lineup, the heart of your order on the day, was 0 for 11. Nate Rombach was hitless, 0 for 4. Cal Conley was hitless, 0 for 3, reached on an intentional walk in the 6th. Braxton Fulford was not only hitless, he was wearing a sombrero with four strikeouts. But Nate Rombach steps into the plate, he's got the confidence, everything Seems like he's ready to make something happen, and he does. It's a solo bomb to left field, and you're thinking, okay, got one of those runs back. Now we'll get some guys aboard, and we will 
work it around. But that, as I'm sure you know at this point, is not what happened. 1-0 pitch. Launched up in the air to left center field. That ball's crushed. Adios, muchacho. Well, one more to go. 8-7 UConn as Romback touches the ball with a rom blast. Conley hits it. It's deep. Left fielder back. Adios, muchacho. Back-to-back. Jacks were tied at eight. Tied at eight in the bottom of the tenth. The pitch. Driven to deep left center field. Are you kidding me? Adios, muchacho. The Raid Raiders walk them off. Back to back to back. Unbelievable. Back to back to back home runs by Nate Romback, Cal Conley for the tie. Braxton Fulford for the walk-off win. They were all to left field. They were all early in the pitch count, 1-0, 1-1, just screaming balls out of the ballpark, no doubters all the way around. The team met Brax at the plate, celebrated. Monteverdi took care of the water bath, dumping the cooler on the celebrating team down there. And then when they came over to sing the Matador song, they changed the words just a little bit. The only word we heard come out of their mouths was sweep. For the entire Matador song. All the way through. It was a fun one. It was an incredible finish. SID for Texas Tech Baseball. Ty Parker did some Googling and digging around. And sometimes college stats just aren't as cohesive around the country going back. But MLB stats are. So you use it as kind of a measuring stick. And he found that that had only happened five times since 1956 in the MLB. So an incredibly rare occurrence, something amazing to see that we may never see again. And it all happened with a game with a 10 o'clock in the morning first pitch against a team that had a curfew and was about to hop on a plane and fly back to Connecticut. I compared this on Twitter to the rarity of what we saw in 2018 against Oklahoma with Young's Bokoff coming down from third base. That was also something in Major League Baseball history that had only happened a handful of times. And so you kind of transfer that over to college baseball and know, hey, this doesn't happen very often, and we got to witness it. It's pretty dang cool. You've probably seen the video or heard the audio at this point on Twitter, but I'm going to play it for you anyway. The other half of the reason that Tim Tadlock is a national treasure on a question about the atmosphere in the ballpark that day, especially for a Monday morning. Um, since you mentioned the people watching, I'm going to go off that first. Um, we definitely want to thank everybody. Um, you know, that, that took a Monday morning to show up and, uh, really, I'm going to tell you the crowd, the crowd surprised, I think all of us on a Monday morning, literally yesterday, I was like, okay, what are we going to have on a Monday morning? And it was a, I mean, that, that's got to be the best baseball crowd in the country on a Monday morning. Man, who, who else can get that type of atmosphere at 10 a.m. on Monday morning? Pretty cool. As far as what else you asked me, um, guys are very resilient. Um, they rewarded us. The game rewarded us. Um, they showed up prepared. and. You know, sometimes you get the results you want. Today we did. Those balls were hit hard. Um, you know, Kurt Wilson and Dylan Noisy hit balls hard the inning before. 
and the game, you know, the, that's, that's how the game is. And, um, but again, I, I just want to thank everybody that showed up at the ballpark. Kind of got me there. You got to love the guy. You can't help but love a guy that loves tech, that loves our fan base, that loves this program and his guys as much as he does. He was proud of them this weekend. He talked about how much they learned about themselves, about the team as they've gone through. And I think you, that was very evident in seeing seven underclassmen work into pitch on this Monday game alone. So Tech ends up with a 9-8 win. They're out hit again, 12-11. to They only had one error on the day, none for UConn. UConn left 14 stranded, the Red Raiders only six. I think we saw a ton of good games. I think we saw a ton of good things out of this team this weekend. But to me, one of the biggest pieces of that is Drew Baker. Drew Baker batted 533. He had 10 runs scored, a double, a home run, four ribbies, four walks, and four stolen bases in the UConn series alone. That is a young man who has learned exactly what his role is in the leadoff. He's still playing with fire and passion and excitement. I love the way he plays the game. He got a shout-out from Hunter Hargrove on Twitter for the way he plays the game of baseball, and I couldn't agree more. Drew Baker is having himself a season right now, and it is extremely fun to watch. That one-two punch between him and Jace Young at the top of this lineup is really deadly, and then he's followed by the heart of the order that is also extremely deadly. There was a little bit of an order change on Monday. You saw Braxton Fulford move up into the six hole. Cody Masters got the start once again at DH in the seven, and then Kurt Wilson and Parker Kelly in the eight and nine. I feel like we're settling into a defense that we may see for a little bit of time here. I would look towards that in Big 12 play. We only saw Max Marshock once over this UConn series. He entered as a pinch runner from third base. Other than that, you're not seeing a lot of guys. Braden Runyon, as I said, got a chance at DH and struggled that evening. And so other than Drew Woodcox working in at first base, Easton Morrell working in at right field, I think we're starting to see some things settle down. And as I've mentioned before, those will change when Dylan Carter is fully healthy and makes a bid to get back into this lineup as well. So not saying it's done changing, but I think you're starting to see it gel and solidify just a little bit. Let's look at stats a little bit here, folks, and then we will look ahead to what's coming for the Red Raiders as the Oklahoma State Cowboys come to town for the Big 12 opener this weekend. Jace Young leading you in batting average now at a 403. Cal Conley very close behind at a 394. Drew Baker has bumped things up to a 368. Parker Kelly a 321. And Braxton Fulford at a 302. Noisy 271. Romback 264. And Wilson 260. You have several guys that are making big contributions in multiple ways. You've got two walks leaders now, Jace Young and Dylan Noisy, both at 16 on the season. Noisy also, he got plunked a bunch this weekend. He's got five hit-by-pitches now. Not anything you try to get, but you don't mind getting on base, although Noisy was a bit of a ball magnet this weekend. Jace Young's only got a couple of those. Braxton Fulford has three. Your slugging percentage leader right now is Jace Young at an 8.23, followed fairly closely by Cal Conley, 6.48, and Nate Rombach, 6.42. Young has seven home runs leading the team. The last I saw, he was leading the Big 12. 
He also has 27 RBI, first on the team in that. Cal Conley has 21. Braxton Fulford's triple was the second of his Red Raider career. Dylan Noisy has a couple of those this season. You've got a lot of doubles that have been hit now at this point, 39 overall by Red Raider hitters. It's Cal Conley that's your hits leader right now with 28. Jace Young has 25. And Drew Baker leading you in run scored exactly what you want to see from your leadoff man. He's got 26 that he's plated. Baker has eight RBI on the season and one home run that he hit this weekend. He's got a dozen walks for you right now. And also something you like to see from your leadoff man still with only nine strikeouts. He's got the lowest total on the team from the major contributors. Also wanted to point out to you some scores from around the league this weekend as we're getting into Big 12 Conference play. Really just wanted to focus on one as Gonzaga left Lubbock and went to Fort Worth to play TCU, and the Bulldogs took a series two games out of three from the Horn Frogs there in their home ballpark. So I told you Gonzaga, not a team to be trifled with. Those were two really solid one-run wins for the Red Raiders, and they went to Fort Worth and took care of some serious business taken down the Horn Frogs, a team that has a lot of expectation heaped on them right now uh, this season from the national media. Oklahoma State also had a tough opponent this weekend as they hosted the Vanderbilt Commodores. As we look across their season, the Cowboys, however, have not been particularly tested, at least in my opinion. They have received a lot of accolades. They were 9-0. and They had some really nice pitching numbers that it was easy for media to latch onto and talk about how great it was. But their opening series with Sam Houston State, it was going to be at, at Sam Houston State in Huntsville. That was canceled. They had a two-game stand with Wichita State on a Sunday-Monday. They won both of those, 3-1 and 14-6. They hosted Little Rock there in Stillwater for a 7-2 win in a midweek on a Wednesday. And then they hosted Illinois State in a three-game stand. They won 3-2, 8-2, and 6-0. And then a one-game midweek with Missouri State. That one was on the road in Springfield, Missouri. The Cowboys won it 7 to nothing. So you're seeing here, I'm not seeing a lot of really solid competition. None of these are really teams that jump out to me as those that bring a lot to the table for a Big 12 team that has the expectations heaped on them that Oklahoma State had preseason or that was getting the attention that they were getting prior to this current weekend. Oklahoma State then, and probably their best opponent on the season prior to this weekend, they played Grand Canyon there in Stillwater at their brand new O'Brate Stadium. They won 11-5, 3-0, and they ended in a tie on Sunday. It was a getaway game for Grand Canyon, and it ended in a tie 4-4 because of a travel curfew. So their final midweek prior to this weekend was at Oral Roberts, so they just went over to Tulsa, and they won that one 5 nothing. Now, Grand Canyon is a pretty good baseball program. I would not say that this is a huge test, though, for the Cowboys, or should be. So ultimately, this last weekend was the biggest test of the season for them. It was against Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt came to Stillwater to help ring in O'Brate Stadium in a big way, this huge opponent one of the perennial powers in college baseball over the last several years and recent national champion. So the Friday night game was moved to Saturday and turned into a doubleheader due to weather. They lost the first one 5 nothing. Then they got beat up in the second one 18-4, and then the Cowboys did come back and win the Sunday offering 10-6 to avoid the sweep. 
Now, Vanderbilt has two of the best pitchers in the country. I will grant that. Kumar Rocker with that first start. It was a 5-0 shutout. And then Leiter with the start in the second game Saturday. And again, that was an 18-4 loss for the Cowboys. Now, they beat him up a little bit in the bullpen day on Sunday. But I question if Oklahoma State has the pitching and the bats to keep up with some of the better teams in the country. And I think Texas Tech is one of those. So I'm looking forward to seeing what this weekend holds. Now, there is one final game to talk about for the Cowboys as they face the University of Louisiana Monroe at Globe Life Park in Arlington on Tuesday night of this week, their only midweek, and they got housed. It was a 13-6 loss by the Cowboys. They were actually down 13-2 in the later innings and were able to scratch back a little bit. But I got to tell you, it's just not a team that looks like they're bringing a lot of offense to the table. I thought they were overrated going into the Vandy series, but they hadn't faced anyone. I felt like national media was pumping them up a little bit to make it an interesting series. But it's just not a team that's doing anything offensively. They've got two guys hitting over 300 on the season. Brock Mathis hitting 341 and Jake Thompson hitting 327, but more importantly, the OPS numbers are really low. Mathis, the only one with an OPS over one, he's at a 1.23. He's also the only one slugging above 600. He's slugging an 829, but otherwise, these guys are just not hitting well. They're not doing a lot at the plate. RBI totals are low all the way across the board. And then Cade Cabanis, who's been a bit of a star for them, he's batting 186 this season. His OPS is at a 722. If that's a guy you're going to hit cleanup, it's definitely a positive for the Red Raiders, I think. And actually, he may have gotten injured on Sunday and may not be back around this weekend for the Cowboys. That ULM game, I know that midweeks are weird. Texas Tech has lost their share over the years as well. But... It's one thing to lose a midweek game, particularly late in the season, but an early season midweek getting housed by a lesser opponent in your own ballpark, that's not something you want to see the Tuesday before you go start Big 12 play. On the season, Oklahoma State has 23 home runs, but nobody has more than 14 RBI, as I said. So what does that tell you? A bunch of solo shots, and they're not getting guys on base to make those home runs more impactful on the season. Their on-base percentage is a 350 as a team. And so you really pumped those numbers up in the Illinois State Series and the Grand Canyon Series as far as home runs, but not scratching the runs across as you need them. The team OPS for Oklahoma State against the schedule that I already went through for you is 799. That is just not going to get it done. I mean, that lineup, you know what, three deep, maybe four, and it's just a whole bunch of guys hitting sub-Mendoza at the bottom of that lineup. Now, I'm not saying that they're not going to get up for Tech. I'm not saying that they can't do some things, but Tech starting pitching is in good shape. You've got a solid, deep bullpen that's getting a lot of experience. I'm feeling pretty good. And on top of all that, George and Gus were the ones pointing some of this out to me. George also points out they're 6 of 9 on stolen bases, so you're not seeing a lot of speed on the base paths right now for the Cowboys either. If you're wondering about comparison as far as stolen bases go, the Red Raiders are 24 of 29 this season, a team that's known for bringing speed to the table, and Tech likes to be aggressive on the base pass, both from stealing bags and causing some mayhem out there to affect pitchers and catchers, but 24 of 29 is compared to 6 of 9, definitely something you like to see with the Cowboys coming in this weekend for that Big 12 opener against Tech. The Cowboys were the last Big 12 team to play 
in Danlaw Field at Rip Griffin Park against the Red Raiders. They were here in 2019 for the Super Regional, and nobody has been back as COVID caused the cancellation of everything just before the Friday series with West Virginia was meant to take place last year, which would have been the Big 12 opener for the Red Raiders. So you're going to have a really big series this weekend, and it's going to be a big crowd out there. And before I look into pitchers for Oklahoma State, I want to encourage you, thinking back to what Coach Tadlock said, thinking back to the thought of a Monday crowd being a difference at 10 o'clock in the morning in a game at the end of a four-game stand against a Big East team as they're trying to get out of town. Share your tickets, folks. If you've got extras, if you've got some you're not using, get them out there on social media and try to get them in the hands of people that want them. I took my wife to this game and had a friend give me some tickets down close so we could have club access for this one on this Monday. My wife doesn't get to go very often because of her work schedule. So I still had my tickets in my pocket. I still had those my GA seats on my phone. I went down to get my wife in the gate and there was a dad and his two sons walked up and the box office had already closed and you could see the disappointment kind of starting to mount that they weren't able to get tickets and come in. They had foam fingers and everything and baseball gloves. So I whipped out my phone and rang them in with mine. And I encourage you to find ways to do that too. Let's fill up Dan Law Field. One way or the other, if you can't be there, get somebody in your seats. Let's make sure that place is rocking because this is a team that can make some real noise and the crowd at Dan Law Field at Rip Griffin Park matters. So please, please try to help get folks there. There's a ton of ways you can do that. All those Facebook fan groups are certainly opportunities to do that. If you want to DM me, I'm always happy to push it out on the Red Raider Dugout Twitter account to get you connected to somebody that needs tickets for a game. They're all over the place. People want to go, and it's a difficult time to get your hands on them. So please, please help people get in your seats. As far as the pitchers that we should expect to see this weekend against the Cowboys, in the Friday night offering, I would expect we'll see Parker Scott. He's 3-1 and one on the season. Scott leads the Cowboys in innings pitched at 21 innings pitched even. He's got a 171 ERA through that time. He's given up 17 hits, four runs, all of them earned, seven walks to 21 strikeouts. So looking pretty nice there as a starter. He's given up two doubles, a triple, no home runs yet this season. He's allowing a 224 batting average to his opponents. His whip is a 114. So Parker Scott probably going to be that Friday night starter against the Red Raiders. That's a 6.30 p.m. first pitch at Dan Law Field at Rip Griffin Park. Let's hope it doesn't get moved. But that one, as most games at Dan Law Field, are going to be on ESPN+. The starter in the second game for the Cowboys against Vanderbilt was Justin Robleski, and I would expect to see him again. Robleski went three innings pitched with two hits and four runs in that game, seven walks to five strikeouts. Robleski on the season has 16 innings pitched. He's got a 281 ERA, and that strikeout to walk is 23 to 12. Not the best ratio, but not awful by any means. Better than that game showed for sure. He's only allowing a 182 batting average to his opponents. He's only allowing a 182 average to opposing batters. That is actually the best out of the longer inning guys for the Cowboys. And the third pitcher I would expect to see is Bryce Osmond for Oklahoma State. Osmond second on the team, 20 and two thirds innings. He's got a 435 ERA and a 140 whip. He has given up quite a few more hits and runs, 20 hits, 
10 runs. They were all earned. He's 19 to 9 in strikeouts to walks, has given up a couple of dingers, and he's allowing a 256 to opposing batters. Couple of wild pitches, couple of HBPs for him as well. Now, there's another guy in that mix. Justin Campbell, who has been that midweek starter, did not get the start against ULM on Tuesday night. So you have to wonder, is the freshman phenom potentially moving into a weekend starting role or a long relief role in the weekend? Although I don't know who you bump out as Bryce Osmond has the highest ERA, but all of the guys in that weekend have been pretty good, particularly against their best opponent against Vanderbilt. Justin Campbell has 17 innings pitched. His ERA is a .53. He's got a whip of 106, 32 to 6 strikeout to walk ratio, and allowing a 200 batting average against. Just another name to look out for for you in the starting rotation for the Cowboys if we see them. So 6.30 Friday night, Dan Lawfield at Rip Griffin Park, Red Raider Dugout. will be covering it for you as always, and we'll have on deck for the weekend and a series updates and then those recaps coming after each game from myself or Randy Rosetta. It's a two o'clock first pitch on Saturday and another two o'clock first pitch on Sunday. We will tweet out starting rotation information as soon as we know it. Without having a midweek this week, we will probably have a Thursday press conference with Coach Tadlock and let you know what's going to be happening after that. It'll be another week without a midweek series next week as Tech will play Oklahoma State in the three-game, no midweek, and then we'll look towards hosting the South Florida Bulls at Dan Law Field at Rip Griffin Park as part of this 12-game homestand that Tech is on. Unless the coaching staff does come up with a way to add a midweek as they are constantly watching for games to be canceled and looking for opportunities for more opponents as they really do want to fill out the schedule all the way to 56 games if they possibly can. So as I said, quite a weekend of baseball. Tons, tons of highlight reel plays, big hits, big swings. And maybe none bigger than the hometown boy Braxton Fulford walking it off in extras. The first extra inning walk-off home run by the Red Raiders since Orlando Garcia did it against Baylor in 2015. So a lot of firsts. A lot of firsts this weekend for the Red Raiders. There'll be another first potentially coming up against Oklahoma State. If the Red Raiders get the win on Friday, if they extend that win streak to 15, right now they're tied With the 2018 win streak that started the season, if they get the win on Friday, they extend to 15 and they tie into a couple. There was a win streak in 2002 of 15 games and one in 1988 of 15 games. We'll look for more information beyond that, but that would be quite the tie to get into against two very good teams, and as you start to see those years expand, things start to become potential record-breaking kind of win streaks. Not that those streaks matter, but the wins certainly do, and this is a big opportunity against the Cowboys this weekend, opening Big 12 play. Y'all, I want to say thank you, as always, for your support, for interacting with us on Twitter. I've started to see more and more comments start to happen on redraiderdugout.com. Please feel free to use those comment sections. Discuss is up and running on there for your enjoyment. We'll continue posting what we've got going on around Red Raider Dugout all throughout the weeks. 
and cross-posting some things at stakingtheplains.com as well. Thank you all for your support of Red Raider Dugout. Thank you for your support of Dinger Derby. Make sure you're following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Red Raider Dugout. I'm Keith Patrick at Keith B. Patrick on Twitter, and you can follow Randy at Randy Rosetta as well. It's been a lot of fun so far. There's plenty more great baseball to come, and we're looking forward to covering it for you. So get out there, interact with folks, pay attention to what's going on, get excited about Red Raider baseball because the time has come. I know it is March Madness, but man, I'm excited about what these Red Raiders are doing on the diamond. It is a ton of fun, and I can't wait for more. I hope we see you around the ballpark soon, folks. Be good, stay in touch, keep up with RedRaiderDugout.com, and until we see you next, wreck them. Thanks for tuning in to Dinger Derby and sharing our love for Texas Tech Red Raider baseball. You can connect with Keith on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Red Raider Dugout. And find more great tech baseball coverage at RedRaiderDugout.com. Help us out by rating us and leaving a review on iTunes. And remember to tell your friends about the show. Keith will be back soon with another episode of Dinger Derby. And until then, wreck em tech. Keep your hand on your gun. Don't you trust anyone? There's just one kind of man that you can trust That's a dead man or a gringo like me Be the first one to fire Every man is a liar There's just one kind of man who tells the truth That's a dead man or a gringo like me 